everybody. Uh, glad you're tuning in. Thanks for coming to the Let's Talk Recovery and Family Podcast. My name is Jack. I uh, hope you guys are getting um, something out of our sessions in this podcast. I truly enjoy doing those and want to keep doing them. Um, if you're getting something out of them, please click on that support button, right, uh, and make any contribution that you feel led to. Um, anything helps keep my equipment up to speed. Um, that way I can keep doing this um, and keep trying to help people. I appreciate it. And also there's a message button too. Feel free to communicate uh, with me um, anytime. All right, let's get to it. We've got a lot, uh, a lot of ground to cover. Today we're talking about some brain stuff. Brain stuff can sometimes be boring, even though it's the brain stuff. It's kind of crazy, but hopefully you guys will still get something out of it. Because we're talking about um, neurotransmitters, right? And I want to get and work my way to um, what physical dependence uh, looks like. Um, some people don't truly believe that there's uh, withdrawal in everything. And some people um, don't notice it until they're having some of the physical stuff go on, uh, which can be pretty darn ugly, I must say. I don't know if you guys have experienced, um, anyone listening has experienced withdrawal now of your own um, or have watched anybody uh, experience uh, withdrawal when the physical dependency piece of it um, shows up and it looks like tremors and seizures and sweats and all those kinds of things. So let's take a minute to talk brain. Uh, the brain is very complex, even with as much stuff as we know about it, we know very little, right? Uh, so maybe this will help you understand some of the connection between addiction uh, and the brain. Um, in the last session, we were talking about um, denial, and denial is it becomes a sort of built-in, self-protective sort of thing that, uh, as we discussed happens sort of on a lower level of conscious awareness. Uh, and that's just one of many of the tricks um, that the brain, the brain will play on people and their families, right? So uh, again, going back to the Living in Balance curriculum, um, let me read you a few things uh, um, as we get through here. Uh, I'll be able to explain uh, some of it as we go. Although many people are familiar with the words dependence, tolerance, and withdrawal, most people don't fully understand how these physical issues can have a tremendous influence on the addiction process. To understand these terms, you need a basic understanding of brain chemistry because addiction involves the brain's neurotransmitters. And that's what I'm talking about. Some people um, don't realize that as you use uh, alcohol and drugs, your, your brain begins to make adjustments, right? Uh, sometimes in group I'll share the concept of the party guy, right? Um, if you can remember, if you're a smoker uh, or the first time you used heroin, do you remember becoming sick? Maybe even vomiting. Not everybody starts to vomit with cigarette smoking the first time they pick it up, but 
you get this very loopy, disoriented kind of brain headache thing going on, right, with heroin. Some of those same things happen times 10, right, uh, plus the vomiting and all those things. Well, that's the body's defense telling you this is not good. Don't go there. This is not good. But the more and more you keep introducing it, the more and more the brain and body does what it needs to accommodate for it. I hope you're catching that. The brain and body begin to accommodate for said party guy, right? Like, okay, you want this guy to come in and then we'll just make, make room for him. Now, neurotransmitters are naturally uh, occurring chemicals in the brain that carry messages between special cells and neurons, which make up nerves. The, there are several kinds of neurotransmitters. They carry different kinds of messages, and they work with different nerve systems that are vital for feeling, thinking, and behavior. The levels of neurotransmitters can be too high, too low, and in balance. Right? Hopefully you're following along. When there is a neuro or a natural balance of neurotransmitters in the brain, people usually feel neither depressed nor anxious. You're kind of just good, right, on an even keel. Some, rather, they feel alert and normal with sufficient energy. This is when things are in balance. When certain neurotransmitter levels are lower than normal, also called depleted, people may feel depressed and sad and they have no energy. They just feel bad. Now that's the tricky part. Like when you're dealing with um, methamphetamine and you're cranking up the go juice that we naturally have, right? The feel-good juices, um, the neurotransmitters that fire along on their own pace. And when you see food, when you have sex, uh, those kinds of things, kick those in and produce this feel-good kind of thing, feel-good chemical, right? Now with methamphetamine, if you crank that up and crank that up using meth over and over and over again, when the brain and body decide that, whoa, wait a minute, we're on overdrive and we don't need all this juice, the brain and body tend to turn the valve down, right? They hit all the little valves turn them down. It's like, whoa, this is way too much overload. Then you find yourself at a time where you don't have any methamphetamine. And now it's been a day. Then it's been two days. Then it's been three days. And you're feeling depressed. The reason for the depression is because the body and brain still have not picked up on the fact that they need to turn the volume back up. Right? So you're shorting yourself on those feel-good chemicals and they're not firing yet and you're not causing them to fire up using methamphetamine so the body's a little bit off balance so therefore you're feeling some depression right when certain neurotransmitter levels are very high and remain high for a long period of time people may feel anxious agitated and irritable they may become violent, paranoid, and they may hallucinate. All can be 
symptoms related to methamphetamine use, right? doesn't always have to be the case, but um, it's very possible. Neurotransmitter balances can be upset by a variety of factors. These can include events that involve high levels of stress, car accidents, such, you know, those kinds of things. Physical pain, physical pain, make people anxious because um, it hurts, whatever it is, right? And a lack of sleep or food. A lack of sleep or food. I know people experience that too. You feel just a little bit off because you didn't get a good night's rest. Or maybe it's noon one day and you haven't eaten since noon the day before, right? Sometimes you're a little out of gas. These may make people experience anxiety, depression, uh, some confusion. You know, dehydration is also in there. If you feel a little bit dehydrated, it can cause some of these same symptoms because your body's low on fluids. On the other hand, some events make people feel good, such as swimming, right, winning the lotto. That doesn't happen very often for people, but winning the lottery, I guess, can make some of those people feel pretty good. In sports, making a touchdown, right? That's how those feel-good chemicals fire off on their own into a healthy level, right? So there's winning the lottery, making touchdowns. We mentioned having sex, those kinds of things fire off good chemistry. It's good for you, I guess. They're good for you. Um, but that's kind of how the brain sort of functions, right? Sort of how the brain sort of functions. And we mentioned the tolerance and withdrawal. I can describe those a, a little bit. I mean, I know, I guess one of the easiest ways to do that is to share that there was a time when even I could just, I could maybe drink a six pack, right? I guess sit and have a six pack over uh, an afternoon, right? But it wasn't long well I say not long but I guess it was a few years down the road when people who started off small like that and they've decided they always want to reach this desired effect right they're trying to get to a place uh, to a certain feel-good place that they enjoy being but sometimes over the course of time the amount it takes to get there increases so let's say early on, you're bobbling drunk at six beers, right? Now let's say it's 15 years down the road, and to become that same bobbling drunk, it takes twice that, three times that, right? Everybody's tolerance tends to be different. Now, We've talked about withdrawal before. Withdrawal off alcohol, it can be very, very dangerous, right? There's all those symptoms, the vomiting, the diarrhea, the seizures. Um, but with alcohol, in some cases, death can occur. So alcoholics out there, if you're listening, please don't stop cold turkey. I know you've been waiting to have somebody tell you to stop or not stop. Um, just please do it in a safe environment maybe with some medical people around you because um, they have medications they can, they can give you to kind of ward off some of that 
detox stuff, some of the withdrawal stuff, and make it safer uh, for you. Right. Same with benzos, benzodiazepines. Uh, those can cause seizures too with an abrupt stop. Um, and there's a controversial thing. Caffeine can have withdrawal. Of course, it doesn't meet the level of these other things that I just mentioned. But in that is THC. <laughs> yes, marijuana has some withdrawal symptoms, right? Have you ever been close to or, or, or hang out with somebody who hasn't smoked pot in two or three days and their mood's up? They're agitated, right? They may not be violently ill with the runs and throwing up and that kind of stuff you would have with these other things. With marijuana, it can be fairly subtle. It can be just a mood shift, right? Some people say or swear by the fact that marijuana has no withdrawal symptoms at all. Not true. Not true. You can't put a chemical like that into your body consistently day in and day out and have those abrupt stops for two and three and four days at a time and you not be altered in some way. Most of the time it's just, you know, mood, you're irritable, snappy with people. Um, and you might even have some mild aches and pains, headache maybe, those kinds of things. But again, it's not that big obvious sort of, um, sort of thing. Stimulants are tricky too. I already went over that, why there's depression if you're using methamphetamine because it's supposed to pick you up. Well, in between your uses, as I mentioned, all those feel-good chemicals in the brain and body, the body kind of intercedes, turns down the volume because it's already so amped up. Now, as it took some time for it to realize that, it will also take some time for it to realize that they're not being turned up on their own anymore. So you're two or three days after not using methamphetamine, you wonder why you're so depressed. That's why the body's got to take the time to go, oh, hey, we're missing this. And it begins to turn the volume up on its own. Right? So if you're dealing with depression, you need to get that looked at too. Because um, depression in itself can be a trigger for some people. So you just got to be careful when you're dealing with these sorts of drugs. Right, so we've talked about chemicals, brain function, right? Um, we've gone over withdrawal just a little bit, neurotransmitters. I'm not going to get into too much detail. Um, I just want you to kind of have a heads up on some of those things. Uh, plus, I'm not a doctor, right? I can just kind of tell you how they may affect people from an addiction standpoint, right? Uh, so let's talk uh, body function. And let's talk physical dependence, right? Some people aren't quite sure what that means, physical dependence. I have kind of this theory um, that I tell some of my clients that there does come a time where you stop abusing the drugs and they start abusing you, right? That's because the body's become completely accepting of all the junk you're putting in it. And at some point, it becomes very agitated when you stop ingesting those things that it came to accommodate. So you got to be careful with that. 
Um, some people don't realize that there can be a physical dependence. I wish doctors would explain that a little bit more when they're hashing out these godforsaken pain pills, right? It's amazing. I think I mentioned early on that after six years and working in MAT, medication-assisted treatment, you know, treating um, heroin or opiate addicts with uh, methadone or suboxone, um, which I am in completely in agreement with. Um, someone in recovery, the processes are not cookie cutter. And I wholeheartedly believe someone has to take the route that works best for them. Right? For using marijuana, those kinds of things, you can stop cold turkey. Go through the little mood stuff we were talking about. Um, if you're dealing with alcoholism to a great extent, right, um, then yeah, you might want to do a medical detox um, just to kind of ward off that kind of sickness that comes with that. Um, but doctors don't seem to explain that I can, you know, they would just take a minute. Here's some pain pills for this broken whatever or this surgery recovery or whatever. But here are, are some of the things that can occur over the course of the next six months to a year if you're on these for that length of time or much longer than that. And explain that the body can become physically dependent. But it doesn't take long. You know, I mentioned being introduced to those people in their 30s and 40s that if it wouldn't have been for a car accident, sports injury, something that caused you know them to be have surgery and they're on these pain pills, and it's been long enough, the doc cuts them off. They're three days into it and wondering why they're sick as a dog. It, what surprised me is they didn't anticipate that coming, which tells me the doc didn't explain it, and they should. So let's take a look at that. Physical dependence is not the same as addiction. Let me repeat that. Physical dependence is not the same as addiction. Addiction involves compulsion, loss of control, which we've all talked about in other sessions, and continued use despite negative consequences. Even when you know it's going to go south, the compulsion to do it is there anyway. Addiction is influenced by biological, physiological, social, and environmental factors. In contrast, physical dependence is a physical process. Physical dependence describes what happens when a person uses a certain drug over a long period of time. The cells in the body become used to it, making accommodations, become used to the drug and adapt to the process of the drug. The body's making accommodations. Okay? Mood-altering drugs are able to change a person's mood because they are able to trick the body into producing the natural brain chemicals, neurotransmitters, more quickly and in larger amounts than normal. So that feel-good process that happens naturally when eating, visiting family, right, those kinds of things, working on a banana split, ooh, that sounds good. When those things happen naturally, this tricks the brain into doing that and doubling and tripling it, maybe even quadrupling it. I don't know. 
but you get a lot more of the feel-good chemicals going on. And that's not a good thing. For example, stimulants force the body to produce certain neurotransmitters that make the individual feel euphoric and high. Right? Turning the volume up on the feel-good chemicals. Right? That's what we were just talking about. And putting them into overload. Uh, however, after prolonged exposure, the body gets used to the presence of the drug, making the body appear to be in balance. Here we are again. The body and brain are making accommodations. Right? So this must be the new normal. So let's at least try to look like we're chilling out. Right? Which some can do, some cannot. Just one of those things. The body gets used to the process of the drug, making the body appear to be in balance only when the drug is being consumed. Because once you've come off of it, you sort of look depressed. Right? The process is called physical dependence. It relies upon the regular, often daily, consumption of the drug. Once physical dependence occurs, an individual will develop withdrawal symptoms when he or she stops using the drugs. So when you're not cranking the volume up on them feel-good chemicals, and the body and brain realize it's been a little while, there go the depression. With some other drugs, there go the withdrawal symptoms, right? Because the body has, again, made accommodations. So quick question. Do you feel that you have developed physical dependence to alcohol or other drugs? Think about how you might feel if you stopped cold turkey. Think about some of the stuff, if you've tried it, think about some of the stuff that has gone on with your body after not drinking or drugging for a day or two, right? Some of those things affect people differently. They affect people differently. Just one of those things, right? So let's get into why family, this is for you too. Why your theory of just stop will not work is because of these things. Just stop is a theory that doesn't help anybody. Because you're asking someone to stop the drinking and the drugging which can actually be very dangerous, especially with alcoholics and opiate addicts. Um, you're asking them to do something that really still scares the mess out of them. That kind of withdrawal and detox is not nice. Not nice at all. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie um, Less Than Zero. Great depiction of what withdrawal can look like. In that movie. It's a really old movie, but nonetheless, it's one of those 
that um, it's one of those that can really grab your attention on what that looks like. Uh, it can be very scary for some people. And so asking someone to just simply stop is a concept that does not work. Does not work. It's not just willpower either. There's no such thing of, of that as um, in, in the concept or the world of addiction. Um, willpower doesn't work. You have to gain some momentum. You have to be willing to participate in different models of treatment. Right? And once you get in there and start to begin to feel better, in some cases take those medications that uh, ward off or minimize the withdrawal and detox symptoms, right? And then allowing you to catch up, your body to heal a little bit, you begin to gain some momentum, right? And then you find yourself clean and sober for a week, then two weeks, then three weeks, maybe a month, right? At that point. Maybe you can consider there would be some willpower in being able to stay that way. Um, but even then, I wouldn't bet money on it. I wouldn't bet money on it. Right? The ability to fall asleep naturally is another one of those things that you have to be careful with. You know, using drugs to knock yourself out for long periods of time, right? You don't fall asleep naturally, you tend to pass out. So, that's something that happens in this time frame too. Your body has to kind of retrain maybe, retrain on, on how to naturally, you know, to fall asleep naturally because the body, it does things just prior to you falling asleep. There's some body chemistry, brain chemistry kind of things that happen. The body prepares itself to fall asleep. Well, when it doesn't have to do that, because you're so drunk you pass out or just so high that you pass out, right? Um, it tends to lose the ability to do that, loses the ability to fall asleep naturally. Another one of those changes that happens, right? Another one of those changes that happens uh, when you've been using drugs uh, uh, for a long period of time or large amounts of alcohol for a long period of time. So... Be careful, right? Be careful. And do what you need to do for your family. Addicts, do what you need to do for your family to try to get clean and sober. Families, do what you can do to be supportive, right? Because I can promise you one thing. Here's a little nugget for you. If nothing changes, nothing changes, right? Somewhere there's got to be coming together and adjusting for what one side of the family needs versus what the alcoholic or addict needs, right? Um, and you guys that are probably the family members are kind of snarkling at me probably, and that's okay. That's okay. If your treatment of the addict doesn't change, I can tell you it's going to hurt more than help. It will hurt more than help. And again, I'm not saying um, to coddle. You do have to draw some lines in the sand. Um, but we don't have to be ugly and hateful about it. It's one of those things that you have to find balance in. Right? You have to find balance in because withdrawal is ugly. 
withdrawal is ugly and it's very hard, very hard for people um, to just do that. Just do that real quickly. Uh, let me give you an example or describe this to you. People who have developed physical dependence typically have withdrawal symptoms when they cut down or stop their alcohol or other drug use. Withdrawal symptoms are typically the opposite of the effect produced by the drug. So you're way, way, way high. The withdrawal symptoms could be that you're really depressed, right? Really depressed. For example, withdrawal from depression can involve anxiety or nervousness, just the opposite. Kind of crazy, but just the opposite. Withdrawal from stimulants can involve depression and lack of energy. For stimulants, depressants, and many other drugs, withdrawal can also involve agitation and disruption in sleep and appetite. During withdrawal, many people are scared and anxious and feel as if they are going out of their minds. So take that into consideration, guys. Good talking to you. Can't wait to talk to you again. Until next time, uh, be blessed out there. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye now. 